Good evening. I'd like to call the Shoreline City Council regular meeting for Monday, February 12, 2024 to order. Will you please join me in the flag salute? Pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Will the clerk please call the roll? Mayor Roberts. Here. Deputy Mayor Mork. Present. Councilmember Ramsdale. Present. Councilmember Scully. Present. Councilmember Adamasu. Present. Councilmember Poby. Here. Councilmember Robertson. Here. Thank you. The next item is the approval of the agenda. If there, if there are no objections or comments, the agenda is adopted by unanimous consent. And seeing no objections, the agenda is adopted by unanimous consent. Next on the agenda is report of the city manager, Mr. Ellington. Good evening and happy Lunar New Year. Shoreline, Shore Lake Arts will be holding their annual Lantern Festival on Saturday, February 24th at the Spartan Recreation Center. Shoreline is a vibrant city, rich in cultural diversity. This event brings people together to celebrate the lively arts and tradition around the Lunar New Year. Get more information and find a free printable paper lantern pattern at shorelakearts.org forward slash lantern. As mentioned previously, the city is offering its popular CityWise project again this year. This series of eight online sessions will provide participants an overview of city government and operations. CityWise is free of charge and open to residents, employees, business owners, and students in Shoreline age 16 and older. You can get more information about CityWise and find the online application at shorelinewa.gov forward slash CityWise. Also, we have our home improvement workshops back this year. So join us at City Hall for our spring home improvement workshops on March 26th, April 23rd, and May 21st. Each workshop will be from 6 to 8 p.m. Reserve an appointment with a technical reviewer to help with questions regarding your house, property, land uses, and streets, along with city requirements and permit information. To schedule an appointment, please visit shorelinewa.gov forward slash home improvement. We're also hosting a vendor fair on each date. On April 23rd, we will have a presentation on middle housing, and on May 21st, we will have a presentation on decks. No appointment is needed for either of these opportunities. In recognition of President's Day on Monday, February 19th, City Hall and Richmond Highlands Recreation Center will be closed. Spartan Recreation Center will be open and operating on a regular schedule. Something went wrong. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think things are going well. Thank you. Thank you. And finally, City Council will not meet next week due to President's Day holiday. The next council meeting will be held Monday, February 26th. Visit the city's web calendar at shorelinewa.gov forward slash calendar for meeting agendas and information on how to participate in all of our public meetings. And that concludes the city manager's report. Thank you, Mr. Ellington. This is next on the agenda are council reports. Are there any council reports this evening? Yes, Deputy Mayor. Many of us went 
excuse me, many of us went to City Action Days, which was really quite informative and, and gave us an insight into uh, listening to our state representatives. Thank you. Any further council reports? Yeah. No, no. I was going to say, uh, Deputy Mayor has already mentioned that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I also say that uh, this evening before we came down here, we heard uh, had pre heard presentations from three of our great community partners, Shore Lake Arts, the Shoreline Historical Museum, and Krukerberg Botanical Gardens. Uh, it's really great meeting with our uh, part community partners. This brings us to public comment. Next on the agenda is public comment. This is the portion of the meeting where members of the public may address the city council on agenda items or any other matter pertaining to city business for three minutes or less, depending on the number of people wishing to speak. The total public comment period will be no more than 30 minutes. If more, there, if more than 10 people are signed up to speak, each speaker will be allocated two minutes. And how many member people are signed up to speak today? No one in person, and we have one remote public commenter signed up. Okay, everyone's going to have three minutes today. Uh, we're going to call our remote speaker first. Okay, so Byron Ziegler has signed up, but I do not see Byron in the list of attendees. If you're here, can you please raise your hand? Mr. Ziegler is not here. Okay, um, I will pause for a second. And if there's anyone in the audience who'd like to address the council, uh, now would be your time to come to the podium and state your name and city residence. I see a stampede going for the podium. Uh, so and is Mr. Ziegler, has he arrived? I do not see him. Okay. I believe we've received comments from him. I know we've received lots of public comment this week uh, on our agenda items. Since no one is here and no one's heading to the podium, I will, we'll move on with the rest of our agenda. The next item on is approval of the consent calendar. Is there a motion? I move approval of the consent calendar. Second. There's a motion and a second to approve the consent calendar. Will the clerk please call the vote? Councilmember Adamasu? Aye. Councilmember Robertson? Aye. Councilmember Ramsdale? Aye. Councilmember Scully? Aye. Councilmember Povey? Aye. Deputy Mayor Mork? Aye. Mayor Roberts? Aye. And that motion passes unanimously. The next item on the agenda is an action item. Will the clerk please read it into the record? This is action on the purchase of real property located at 2332 North 149th Street, identified as King County Parcel Number 180390-0030, and authorizing the city manager to take ne necessary steps to complete the property purchase. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Dom is presenting this item this evening. Since this is an action item before the council for the first time, public comment will follow the staff report but precede council discussion. Mr. Down, as he's running in the door. <laughs> Sorry to keep you waiting. Oh, I can pause and solve. 
appreciate it. We can have uh, Siri talk some more. <laughs> so welcome. Thank you. So yes, as was mentioned, we're here to discuss the uh, opportunity to acquire property to expand uh, the park system. And I don't see. Um, if you hit Alt Tab, you can get back to Zoom to share it. <clears throat> There we are. So this is an uh, action item for you this evening to uh, consider the purchase of property at uh, 2332 North 149th Street, which is adjacent to Twin Ponds Park. <clears throat> so this is all detailed in your staff report and I won't belabor these details, but this does uh, follow a relatively long thread of planning and, and work uh, on the part of staff. and and council uh, to, to uh, continue to grow our park system to keep up with the growth in population. And specifically in the station areas where 43 acres of uh, additional parkland have been identified in order to keep pace with growth. And uh, securing sustainable funding was another key uh, uh, priority of the PROS plan, which um, we are uh, including here uh, for for review, the uh, park impact fees established in 2017 uh, create the opportunity to purchase property, as do the grants that we frequently seek. And for this property, we have been awarded, which cover 75% uh, of the acquisition cost. Uh, for this particular property, uh, the discussion kind of goes back quite a ways uh, when uh, council discussed what to do with a parcel that would be left over from the 145th Street project adjacent to I-5. And uh, we really got pretty clear direction from council at that time. There was uh, some concern about just the level of development happening in that area and really uh, received that direction to really pr prioritize uh, additional parkland in that area, really keep pace with that growth in that particularly rapidly growing part of the city. Um, and so the council decided not to move forward with that particular parcel right on the off-ramp at 145th, but to explore other opportunities. And one of the things that we did was to reach out to property owners along the southern edge of Twin Pond Park to explore the possibility of expanding a park in that same station area. And this kind of goes through the process of approaching the property owner uh, and to where we are today. And the property uh, acquisition is above the uh, fair market appraised value of the property. But again, this is detailed in the staff report. Uh, the grant funding source doesn't allow for condemnation, which would be a much simpler way to just pay the agreed fair market value, assuming that uh, was um, agreed by both parties and, and if needed by a judge. Uh, not going that route, again, because the grant doesn't allow for that, and so really a voluntary purchase and sale is the only option. So we were able to negotiate and get to the price that you see here and that's in the uh, staff report. So as again, as I've shown, this would allow us to expand the park, create a new access point into the park from the south in this rapidly growing part of the city. It would allow for uh, some, you know, small, uh, modest park improvements and uses, but it also would work well as a part of a larger 
assemblage. And uh, no plans or decisions have been made or are before you tonight, but just gives you a sense of the flexibility that it would work well in its own right or as a part of a broader plan in that area. And then this is just another look at how this site sort of works within the uh, hydrology of that area. It's within uh, the uh, wetland buffer and very close to those wetlands in Twin, Twin Ponds Park. And so the financial impact, again, this is detailed in the staff report, but this shows the estimates on the costs related to the purchase, including the purchase price, uh, that are a total of $901,500. And there's an estimated $210,000 of the demolition and other post-acquisition costs. And again, these are all costs that we're able to cover, 75% uh, of them with the Conservation Futures Tax Grant that we received. The remaining 25% uh, we would intend to fund through the, again, the Park Impact Fees account. Uh, so the proposed action that staff is recommending is to move forward with this purchase. Um, and we have a motion prepared for you here. And I've almost caught my breath even. Uh, and I will leave it to you. Uh, we will go under the rules of procedure 6-1-B as this is before you for the first time in a public uh, regular business meeting, which means staff report, which is this, followed by public comment, and then your council review would follow that. Thank you. And we'll go to public comment on this agenda item. Uh, is there anyone signed up for this agenda item? No one has signed up. Is anyone online signed up? No. Okay. So, again, this is... Anyone in the audience who'd like to address the council on this item, feel free to head to the podium. I don't see anyone heading to the podium, so we'll close off, close public comment here for this item and turn to council discussion and looking for a motion. Okay, Councilmember Robertson. I move to approve the acquisition of the property located at 2332 North 149th Street, identified by the tax parcel number as listed on page one of the staff report, and authorize the city manager to take the necessary steps to complete the property purchase. Second, Ben. Thank you. Councilmember Robertson. We were just asked upstairs by one of our community partners what we were doing to prepare for the growth in Shoreline. This is a great example, and it was so cool to read about conservation futures tax dollars and uh, park impact fees covering covering this you know covering the purchase so I'm excited um, this is a long range this is a long game that we're playing um, and just a great piece along the way thank you any further discussion deputy mayor uh, I am intrigued with the hydrology picture that you had and how it shows the connection with Twin Ponds Park and I think that makes this property even more attractive. Thank you. Yeah, Councilmember Pogge. Just a uh, clarification or clarifying question on page five of the staff report. Now there is an awarded CFT grant already. That's correct. And we are still anticipating a second one. Is that correct? Yes, so there were uh, two properties, and as was shown, um, the first property that we acquired in this area was last year, and that's 2146 North 150th Street. And so this is the second of two properties. 
Um, again, long game, you know, we're hoping to have opportunities to assemble additional properties and we would certainly approach that same grant funding source should other opportunities arise as well. Thank you. Thank you. Any further discussion? Councilmember Ramson. Thank you, Mayor. Yeah, I'll be in supporting uh, this ordinance. I, I think that, that uh, the more land we can get where there's high levels of density, um, and we, we, knew, we do know that where there's high levels of density, there's going to be increased uh, level of uh, anxiety and depression in those populations. There's a lot of empirical evidence that shows that. So uh, mitigating factor can be access to public open space. So whatever we can do to increase the amount of public open space in areas where there's going to be high density, I support it. So uh, thank you for the, for the presentation, and I will be supporting it. Thank you. Thank you. Any further discussion? Okay. Will the clerk please call the vote? Councilmember Robertson. Aye. Councilmember Adamasu. Aye. Councilmember Scully. Aye. Mayor Roberts. Aye. Deputy Mayor Mark. Aye. Councilmember Povey. Aye. Councilmember Ramsdale. Aye. Thank you. That motion passes unanimously. So. Thank you. Thank you. Next, we have another action item, uh, action item 8B, and will the clerk please read that into the record. This is action on ordinance number 1005, establishing the 2024 fee schedule for transportation impact fees. Thank you. And we have uh, Jeff Raker presenting this evening and will be joined by Natasha Walters, Kendra Bryland, and Kendra Dudinsky. Welcome. So good evening. Um, I am going to be the only person in person. Uh, Jeff Raker is actually rather ill. So he is going to turn on his camera as need be, but I am going to try to carry the presentation for him. So uh, thank you for this opportunity uh, to provide uh, further discussion on the transportation impacts fees and the new rate study. Uh, I'm going to give a quick review of our timeline as in the staff report. I believe this is uh, presentation number eight um, as we discuss the TIP. Very productive conversations in terms of looking at exemptions for business, establishing a rate study, looking at excuse me, multimodal in terms of our approach. Um, in November, we adopted Ordinance 998 with the uh, new project list, which we'll be talking more about. The intent of this evening is to adopt the ordinance uh, 1005, which will establish exactly what race we want with the new rate study. Uh, we are actively training our staff right now so we can adapt this new rate study on March 15th. So with this action, we'll be on schedule for that training. Uh, so in quick review, as is in the staff report, uh, we are uh, going to be acting on the Ordinance 998, which has the new rate study, which is in your staff report. It includes a 15% reduction for TIF in our high activity areas, which we discussed before, is those areas with uh, uh, transit, um, higher levels of density, so supports that. We have a, a number of exemptions for business that we've already done. 
as well as early learning facilities. Um, and then we also have done some what we call house uh, cleaning amendments. TIF eligible projects are in your staff report and they're not just the green, they're also those other uh, yellow and orange. Uh, TIF is, as I will say a couple times, very important um, to not only deliver projects in our transportation element, but also for concurrency. And if we're not able to fund those for concurrency, we would be moving into a moratorium. So as we talk through our projects and the amount of TIF we, it, we need uh, to complete our projects, this map shows all of those uh, projects, including those concurrency projects. Um, the ordinance as proposed establishes the TIF schedule and repeals the ordinance from 995, which was basically taking the existing ordinance, excuse me, the existing rate and adjusting it for inflation. Uh, we did do some updates. Uh, we've had a lot of conversation about senior housing. Uh, we looked at assisted living and we reduced that rate from 2,626 to 1,203 per bed uh, based on best pra past practices and aligning with other jurisdictions. So that's a further reduction looking at the lower rate on the scale. Um, and also uh, looking at what was really defined, we did not see a discernible difference in use between congregate care and assisted living, so we did not include ITE code 253. Uh, we do have a correction. Um, we have a number of ITE codes and adult family housing was included in our description for assisted living and it is not actually specifically called out in that definition so we are going to be updating the ultimate staff report to reflect that change um, and I also have in here a definition of what it is which is currently also in your staff report uh, so we apologize for that um, for including adult family in that definition for assisted living and in terms of our uh, staff recommendation, it is to adopt the maximum allowable rate. Um, it's important to have the rate enable in order to be able to fund the projects that support development, the projects that support safety, the projects that support climate, and the, climates, the projects that support concurrency. As noted in the staff report, we have the 148th non-motorized bridge. We just talked about one of those projects in the area that we're trying to support. That bridge supports access to those developments. Um, if we're not able to have the funding for the 148th non-motorized bridge from TIF, we'll have to find other sources for it. We have a deadline to have that completed before a fist passage for Thornton Creek occurs. We have about three and a half years to complete that. If we wait, the creek gets opened, we lose our staging area, it becomes very difficult to fund that. The 175th corridor project has significant funds as well. 175th corridor was also identified as number one as a priority for sidewalk improvements, but it has been included in the 175th corridor project. TIF funds are very important for that as well. So we do not recommend anything below the maximum allowable rate. We do not recommend a reduction by 20% um, as well. 
We've already noted we've done significant reductions for senior housing, and we are asking for no additional reductions for senior housing. I believe that is my last slide. Thank you. Is there further, any further, last slide, but is there any further discussion? I, I think the, that's, yeah, okay. if you have questions, yes. Okay, um, well, I'll look for a motion. Councilmember Adamasu, can you start with the motion, please? Oh. Or... Okay. Yeah, I, I got it. Okay. Councilmember Scully. Thank you. I move to adopt ordinance number 1005 as recommended by staff and set TIF rates to the maximum allowable level determined by the rate study. I second it for the purpose of discussion. <laughs> Councilmember Scully, to your motion. I'll, I'll wait for questions and amendments. Councilmember Adamasu. Um, there's park impact fees, there's fire impact fees, and there's transportation impact fees. And each of these fees are so important for the city to do things that they need to do, especially with climate change and other crises and housing, other things. Um, one thing that was brought up at a recent affordable housing symposium was the thought of there's all these different fees. Is there any way, I don't know if some cities have already done this, but put a cap on the total fees based on percent of construction of the development. So if you're constructing a small ADU, that would be a very tiny monetary amount. Um, if you're doing a big project, it would be a large amount. So um, have you guys did you explore anything about a cap on total fees, or is that kind of out of this discussion? A cap on total fees. So we have a maximum rate. We have the amount we need. I look to Breland as well. I see you, Jeff. Um, we have the maximum amount that we need to meet our committed project list. Is there, what the intent of the question is, what is the intent of it, the It question? was brought up at um, an event I was at last, last week with affordable housing. Some of the nonprofit developers were saying there should be a cap because there's all these fees is there a cap on total fees between park, fire, and tran transportation, or is there yeah, a cap? Yeah, I wasn't clear on if it was a total cap on total fees, or, yeah. So a cap on total fees between the three I do, I'm, I do not know. Uh, yeah. Or other cities that may have done that. Everybody's camera is turning okay. on. <laughs> um, Jeff, if you think you can answer that, go for it. If not, I'm going to go to the Braylon and then Dadinsky. <laughs> okay. While he's coughing, he I will um, indicate that I've been informed that we do not have a cap on yeah. um, total fees. For research, I missed. I was going to say it's my understanding that there's not a cap between all of the impact fees. Uh, but also, 
indicate that in past staff reports and discussion with council, we've indicated we've retained low income uh, housing exemption and um, that we've encouraged uh, council to uh, think about um, these types of discussions as part of a more robust discussion over this next year uh, as part of the comprehensive plan in terms of addressing um, housing um, uh, specifically across these different programs. Um, so focuses on the transportation impact fees tonight. It also sounds like an interest in affordable housing. We do have policies for affordable housing. If that's what you're, if that's also what you're asking. Just, there's different prices for different projects. So you have a set amount, this much per this unit in 254, this much per this unit for 250. But in each of those categories, you could have a small project and you could have a large project. So just, they were talking at this symposium about a cap by a percentage of what the project costs. But that's, I think yeah, Jake Breland, do you answered wanna, that it's okay. not specific to the transportation. It, so. It's done, yeah, I mean, it's done by unit, it's done by bed, it's done by units and beds, I, it gives a rate, but go ahead, Kendra. I, I appreciate the council member's question. Right. Um, what I would say is that a premise of how impact fees, the program is constructed, it is constructed by looking at what the impact is of each of these development types. And so we were very intentional in providing a huge array of residential types, mostly to recognize the differential impact that you have of an ADU versus a single family home versus a high rise apartment versus a mid rise apartment. So recognizing that there's different housing types and that they have different impacts on the system. And so the rate very much does reflect that. Um, so how the program was constructed is really tying each land use to its contribution for the need for the transportation infrastructure in the city of Shoreline. Um, and that's not dissimilar from how the parks impact fee is, is uh, structured. That's really tying land use proposals, residential proposals to the need for parks land. Um, and I you know, wasn't familiar with Shoreline having a, a fire impact fee, but I'm familiar with those programs. And that ties um, development proposals to the need for fire infrastructure. So all of these are structured in a way um, that they do recognize that uses that are that are generating fewer trips, fewer impacts, are generally um, having lower rates. Um, to the council members, specific question of making sure that we're not overly charging or overly burdening um, certain types of uses. I, mean, I think that's something that over time you should be monitoring. Hey, is my impact fee program does it does it feel right? Um, are we getting, you know, ha are we getting the right amount of development in our community? Um, are we achieving what we want with this program? And so I think I would encourage um, council, you know, definitely in adopting the program also to keep an eye on the program. And to the extent that issues are coming up, I think, you know, your staff is going to raise that to you. 
Um, and you do have the opportunity to calibrate your program over time. So I'll yield it to if uh, uh, Kendra Dzinski has anything to add. Um, yeah, not much important to add other than to say, typically we assess fees at the beginning of a project before they start building. Projects don't always know their their costs up front it is known after the construction is, is done. So that makes it somewhat difficult. And then additionally, um, it provides some room for disparity between what the city believes the project cost might be and what the developer does. So we either have to just take their, their assessed project value at face value or we have to negotiate what we think is a reasonable cost that puts us into a, an entirely new line of business trying to assess sort of what a construction cost of any given project is, which is difficult to do. Otherwise, we're just taking their word for it. Um, so for, for all those reasons, difficult to implement on that basis as well. Thank you all. Thank you. Councilmember Ramsell. Uh, thank you, Mayor. I, I really appreciate the the, the, the uh, TIF rates were reduced for assisted living facilities. Um, I care very much about the the seniors in our community since we have a, as proportionately a larger segment of our of our of our population is is, uh, is uh, from the senior population than other parts of the county. Um, I, I um, am slightly disappointed that there's that the adult family homes weren't specifically. Um, uh, identified as a type of senior care um, um, option for seniors uh, that, uh, and specifically that, that uh, like assisted living facilities, they're very expensive. They often don't accept Medicaid. Adult family homes are one of the few um, options that seniors who are not incredibly wealthy um, can um, have an opportunity to receive some, some care at, towards the end of their life. Um, adult family homes, uh, have can have no more than six people in in their uh, in the in, in the uh, dwelling. It, I mean, you can walk by. But there's 150. There's 150 in adult family homes in Shoreline, mm -hmm. and you can walk by. And you probably have no idea they're even an adult family home, um, because there, there's it only takes six people. So. Uh, the fact that it takes Medicaid, that we have a large uh, uh, segment of our, of our population is um, seniors. I um, would like to introduce an amendment to uh, exempt um, adult family homes from um, any TIF, TIF rate charges, because I think that there's, there's already 115 um, uh, adult family homes in our, in our city. I don't think it's unreasonable to expect that there'll be maybe more. And I understand that when there's a, a, a change from a, a, a single family to when a single family home is converted into an adult family home, that there's going to be no charge, um, no TIF rate would apply. But if there's going to be a, a new um, uh, adult family home with six or less folks that, that, are, that, that can use their Medicaid a benefit to pay for 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 care towards the end of the life. I'd I'd like to, I'd like the city to kind of follow its um, principles of being an age-friendly community to um, not um, to, to to encourage that type of um, um, service and not have um, a, a TIF fee um, um, on that type of a of, of a care facility. So. Um, I'm not sure what I need to do so to. You, uh, <laughs> that's about what I'm about to ask. Okay. Do you have a specific language? Yeah. So, I mean, the amendment would uh, exempt uh, new adult family homes licensed with the Washington Department of Social and Health Services. Um, uh, I'm, the definition of an adult family home will be coming from RCW 70.128.010 as the following. Um, 
Adult family homes mean a residential home in which a person or persons provide personal care, special care, room, and board to more than one, but not more than six adults who are not related by blood or marriage. This is directly from the RCWs from the state of Washington, um, or marriage to, to, to the person or persons providing the services. Um, and you know, an adult family home may provide services up to eight adults. I, I worked for 25 years in the yes, yes, as, so okay, so okay, so that's so what, that's that's what I can I'm, you that's please what like. email okay. the clerk okay. with the language mm -hmm. so that we might be able to okay. all we'll see do. it and then decide if we want to move okay. forward. All right. Uh, Councilor Mariscoli, will you? Th th thank you. Can I make a suggestion on the language? Yes. It, it would be to exempt new adult family homes as defined by RCW, whatever the site is, yeah. full stop, for, sorry, from okay. transportation impact fees, full stop. Okay. Is there a second to that? I second. Okay. Is that, is that? Yeah, that's fine. That's great. Okay, Councilmember Ramsell, to your motion. I think you've spoken. I think I've kind of spoken in favor of it so far. So, Councilmember Robertson. So I'm not opposed to this as an idea, but I always get uncomfortable when we start crafting language from the dais, and we haven't had given the staff time to to analyze it and give us counsel on what what the greater impacts might be on just our overall, you know, I'm just a code and, and things and applications. And so that's what makes me uncomfortable about supporting in this moment. So my question is like, if this passes now, or if it doesn't pass now, when is there another opportunity to address it again after staff has had a chance to consider and advise? Yeah, okay, so we, if we wanted to do an amendment for specific exemption of adult family home, it's a new structure, as an exemption that requires an ordinance? Is, is the question, if you passed it now, then what would be involved to come back and amend the requirements? Either way, passed it or didn't pass it now, I'm, I'm inclined to have more staff study before we make a decision on the fly from the dais. Uh, yeah. Thank you. I, I agree completely with that sentiment, except under the specific circumstances we're confronted with here, we had kind of a moving target. We had a definition that had the word adult family home in it. We thought it was one problem. We found out tonight or earlier today that it wasn't that problem. I am confident that this particular definition, the worst that will happen is either we have applications that it's unclear whether something's adult family home and so projects that should qualify don't qualify, or we get a very few projects that shouldn't qualify that do, and they're exempt from TIF. For me, that harm is fairly minimal, and I don't see us coming back with a new ordinance this year to address this problem. So I don't, this is one of the few circumstances where I think on the fly isn't terrible, although generally I, I agree with that, that sentiment. So I'm gonna be supporting this. And um, I would like to just have a, ask a question here just for clarification. We, had, we would review our fees every year, and since this amendment, I believe, may go into the fee schedule or the 
of the transportation impact fee, it would be something that would could be reviewed by council every budget cycle when we adopt a new set of fees. Or it would be adopted every time we adopt a new set of fees. So we're, we could look at adjustments to the rate on an annual basis if we want to update our enti entire rate study, which I don't think is what you're saying. Yeah, I think we could come back again next year if we wanted to look at this again. I do think you're also correct that the number of adult family homes this would actually impact would not be a lot. Um, so there's a couple things. I, I, I This was kind of a late-breaking. Um, one is the RCW and the definition of single-family housing and the definition of adult family housing um, and how those two relate. And I am looking at, so this RCW, I, I think there's a clarification that needs to occur there. Um, the intent is to ensure that any new adult family housing in Shoreline is exempt, is the intent. And as an exemption versus a reduction in a travel rate, which is what the other structured amendments are, I'm still not clear on that. Um, we do have a March 15th date that we are trying to get ready for. I was asking Brayland about this. If we're, the impact is minor, if I understand the intent, the impact to adult family home is minor, the impact in terms of next Monday is a holiday, and when we could come back with this and meet our date for March 15th training is another question. And what happens if we don't miss that date? If we miss that date and we can't adopt this, then we're in a little bit of a funky area. <laughs> um, and we'll have to figure out how, what happens to the TIF rate if we don't adopt it tonight, which is another question. So I guess my, my can this wait till next year, is, as I think is a question. I, um, I mean, do, would we want to do it potentially next year? Um, if you want to do, if you want us to come back again, we can come back again, and we'll have to figure out how we would do that. I'm looking so, at Margaret. <laughs> so I, I want to ask a clarifying question in that mm -hmm. statement that was just made. Because this motion is an exemption, there's something we have to also consider. Because it's an exemption, it's something different than just reducing the amount there is it's a specific, specific process exemption, and as such, in Kendra Dzinski's labor, yeah, as such, it has its own um, process. And is it possible to have that process quickly explained? And Councilmember Pobey, I know you have a question no. here. Kendra, go ahead. Let Kendra. Oh, okay. Go ahead, Kendra. Did you want me to explain? Yeah. So. We've previously adopted an ordinance that sets in place the exemptions, such as the business exemptions. So I, I believe, unless we want to do, uh, well, no, yeah, I, I, I think we would have to come back um, with changes to that recently adopted yeah. ordinance um, that define the exemptions. So setting a lower rate based on trip generation is a different thing than exempting a land use altogether, which is has to be paid back. Um, by city funds. So there's a whole kind of uh, ordinance language that needs to be crafted around that if we are to exempt um, this specific thing. And, so, and if so, I may, uh, so what I'm hearing is that this motion as proposed right now may be out of order because we can't put an exemption into this ordinance, but 
Is it possible that we could say that the adult family homes, as defined by RCW 7128.010, has a fee of zero? Would that be in order? I looked. No, because so I I would look to this to the city attorney as well um, (laughs) for her interpretation certainly, but my interpretation would be there is no ITE rate associated with zero for this land use, and so. I, that wouldn't be kind of a justifiable basis for it. Um, it would be just a, a policy choice and exemption in that basis. So, but I, I'm curious to hear what Margaret. I agree with Kendra as far as how we do exemptions because under the law we're required to, if we exempt, then we have to make up the amount of that exemption. And so there is a specific process um, mm-hmm. that lays that out. And it, that I, I, while I can understand the desire to say zero because it effectively makes it an exemption, uh, there would be no basis for reducing it down to that number in this instance. The ITE schedule has a trip generation, and what we've been doing is there's like a low and a high, and we push it all the way down the low, but it's still a schedule, it's still a, a methodology, it's still a procedure, it's still a nationally based you know, me- methodology, so to go to zero is not following the ITE handbook. If you have a policy decision to make a reduction, which is what we're saying, that's different. That's an exemption, and that it has a process. Okay, so I'm going to. I think I want. I'm inclined at this moment to say that this motion is out is out of order uh, from advice of the city attorney. But before I do that, I'm going to turn to Councilmembers Poby, Deputy Mayor Morick, and Councilmember Council <laughs> Ramsdale to. Um, try to uh, to convince me otherwise. My objective is not to convince you, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, interestingly, I was looking at it from rate allocation and fee setting uh, perspective uh, based on common factors and, and denominators that I use in calculating. For some reason, Kendra just said exactly what I have written here. And so to say exempt, that's totally different. It's a, it's a policy decision because it has several factors that determines the rate. If we make a policy decision to say, hey, we want to charge zero, which I wouldn't support because you know what? The number of people in the house will not be a factor to be used to determine the rate. It's going to be the number of trips made to the mm-hmm. place. And so that is the, if I understand, one of the factors being used here. And so the traffic generating a facility compared to others. There may be 120 people in an um, assisted living, but the number of trips may not even be equivalent to that of six people in a different home based on number of employees that frequent the place. Thank you. Deputy Mayor Mark. Uh, so IT, oh, excuse me. Uh, ITE 254 that we thought included adult family homes doesn't. That's that's the key, right? Correct. And so you couldn't, you can't add it to that. I think Kendra is going to talk about the trip rate. I yeah, I I I, <laughs> I understand how this is extremely uh, kind of disjointed or confusing. We have specific state law that addresses adult family homes very specifically. It lays out the definition. Um, Unfortunately, ITE is disconnected from that entirely. So the ITE trip generation manual that we use to base the trip generation rates on 
doesn't really care what the definition of adult family home is. Mm -hmm. So we historically have used this assisted living category to capture adult family home. And that there, there really isn't any disparity in how the language in the ITE manual defines the two. And in fact, a lot of them are all very interrelated uh, when you look at the senior housing categories. And so historically, we have used the assisted living 254 category, and that would be a reasonable thing to assess for new projects moving forward. But keep in mind that conversions, again, would get a larger credit than likely the adult family home would, would draw on those trip credits. So again, you're talking about a net zero outcome for those, those types of conversions. It's the new ones that would have to pay the per bed rate um, under our past practice. Um, my, I think when we put together the, the staff report, the intent was to apply the per bed fee uh, to the adult family homes. So, so, so I ask it again, that there is a rate associated with uh, 254, which is reduced, but not, but exists. If we called an adult family home as fitting in 254, could it use that rate and yes. we could we yes. could do that tonight? Yes, I, I that would have been my interpretation of how to move forward otherwise, yes. So uh, Councilmember Ramsdell, my question to you is if that's acceptable to you. I believe that the number of uh, times that adult family homes go into brand new buildings is relatively small. So uh, I'm thinking that uh, that this might that might be a compromise that would uh, that that at least it's it's not going to hit the majority. Is that reasonable to you to do it that way? Uh, thank you for that question, uh, Councilmember Mork. I, I I think that what what really kind of struck struck me when I saw the staff report was that you know comparing an assisted living facility with an adult family home when you have let's say 250. Uh, residents in, in an assisted living facility home and six in a, a, um, uh, in a in an adult family home the the impact to our transportation infrastructure from those two facilities is going to be incredibly different you know so um, I, I I don't understand like how you can apply the same rate for a large facility with hundreds of people and another small like residential facility with only six people so i i think i can address your question which is to say that it's scalable right so in a large facility they're going to pay on a per bed basis and so you're going to have 200 beds times that rate whereas for the adult family homes you're having five or six beds times that rate so it's it's scalable it's not they're not paying you know a, a a larger proportional rate than a large facility would. Um, and that furthermore, the adult family home rate would be lower than the typical single family home rate. So there's that benefit as well. Okay, great. Thanks. That's helpful. Um, so um, under this ordinance, a adult family home would not be, cons would, you would not be assessed a TIF rate as a single family home. It would be assessed, which is, which is much greater. It would be assessed the TIF rate as in this 254 ITE of the reduced, the reduced rate, reduced rate. That, that, that was correct? the intent. That okay. was the intent. And that would be for a new adult family home that would so be constructed. Now, okay, so Kendra Dudinsky, you're saying that's to to maintain that in the description then, or we want to add? Councilmember Scully. Okay. Th thank you. First, I would appreciate if staff would answer questions and not 
engage in dialogue. It's more confusing when that happens. I, I am confused, Chairman. I'd like an answer from the city attorney. Ordinance number 998 exempted certain businesses. That was done, as I understand it, based upon the ITE code. The problem tonight is we are trying to exempt a business based upon a modification of the ITE code. Is that correct? You're, you have in front of you a modification, modifications that you're making to um, what's assessed under the ITE code. Is that correct? Am I understanding what the council is looking at in reducing the rates? So, so let, let me ask you the, the, the follow-on question of that is, why can't we do that? Why can't we say this is our TIF? We're going to define this particular category the way we want to. Why are we stuck with the ITE codes? What, what law requires us to do that? Well, I think it would have to be supportable under, un, under the methodology because people can do their own studies and they can pr provide their own analysis. And if we just started putting them out there without using something as a base or a justification for it, I think that would, would create uh, legal problems for I us. I appreciate that and I agree with that, but we've had the basis identified tonight. This is a category that doesn't make sense. It doesn't work on the ground. We've got facts on the ground that in my view are defensible. So if the chances we are risking a lawsuit, I don't care. Like, let's do this. Let's do something that makes sense. If there's some law that says thou shalt follow ITE codes, then we're stuck. But I'm not hearing that. I'm hearing all kinds of information, but not the answer to that question. Why can't we do this? Well, again, I think that the way that the law is set up is that if we do want to exempt something out, we can do that, but yeah. we have to have a basis to make up that difference so that what we're exempting out is made up out of the general fund. No, un understood. That, that, that's right. We, we have to do that. We are making a policy choice to basically subsidize this by making up for these contributions out of the general fund. That's understood. But what I've been hearing in a very variety of forms from staff is you can't do it even if you want to do that. And I don't think that's true. Well, that wasn't my intent. My, my intent was to say that I don't think this is the proper um, forum to do that. I, I appreciate that. Those are policy arguments. I'm voting for this. Okay, we are back to this. I'm going to rule that under the advice of the city attorney that this motion as written is out of order. Well, uh, Mayor, I don't know if I can really say that the motion is out of order. I just, um, wh what okay. I think staff I'll is struggling. what I said. <laughs> I think what staff is struggling with is um, since we're, and I apologize, I was not the one that worked specifically on this ordinance, but as I understand it, the intent here is to um, look at rates for, for mm -hmm. that's before us. And mm -hmm. so by taking something and giving it a zero rate, I'm not sure then how that, if, if that was an exemption, then I don't know how we make up the difference, I guess. And I'd have to look to Kendra for that, but we have to have some kind of a process, I would think, to explain. Okay. At this moment, I'm going to call for a five-minute recess, and Thank we're you. going to try to figure this off Thank you. outside of the Thank you. dais.
and then you're going to help me, right? <laughs> Jessica, we're streaming. Um, we are definitely on Zoom. I'm making sure on Granicus. We should be. Okay, we'll call this meeting back to order. Councilmember Ramsell. Uh, thank you, Mayor. Um, so after, after deliberation, I think I'll be withdrawing my motion and I'm gonna be directing staff to uh, evaluate um, uh, uh, eliminating or exempting adult family homes from transportation impact fees and to come back in three months with a report. Right. So just to I'll pause, pause this, but first uh, you're withdrawing the motion yeah, withdrawing motion. And that does not require a second or approval of the body under our council rules. And you're making a new motion to direct staff to come back with an ordinance within three months? Correct. Thank you, Mayor. Second. There's a motion and a second for that. Any discussion? I'll, um, we're going to put a pause on that motion because that's independent of the motion the main motion that we're considering right now so i will postpone discussion of that motion until we continue action finish action on this ordinance and then we'll come back to councilmember ramsdale's motion is that okay with everyone okay so we're now back to action on ordinance 1005 is there further discussion on that motion okay I'll just say one bit, and I want to first thank staff and all of the staff for uh, this process. I think we've learned that transportation impact fees are complicated, <laughs> that they are uh, based on a or definitions that are provided by an organization that is not uh, a national organization that has no direct impact with state or state law or city codes, but uh, they do provide guidance for uh, developers and for city staffs in order to understand the impacts that they, those projects that are being built have on the city. And that is a complicated process. And uh, I think even in the process of adopting the ordinance, setting up the structure, we realized that uh, there are still some definitions that are not well-defined. And also, we have learned over the course of this process that any developer has the ability to work with the city to actually say what the, the real impacts or what the true impacts of their development would be on a particular city. So often this, um, the developers may negotiate with the city in terms of what the actual impact might be, and then we'd apply the, that, this rate in these fees accordingly. So this is, in many ways, this is a poor analogy, but I mean, these are the book rates, but there's actually what the real rates are um, based on, again, based on negotiation. Um, I will say that the, um, these, these fees, that, these impact fees that we adopt, whether it's a transportation impact fee, whether it's a park impact fee, whether it's a fire uh, impact fee, all of these are not, these are dollars that only come when development occurs. That if no, I mean, I think 
it would be wrong to say that there will be no development, but if there is no development that happens in Shoreline, then none of these fees will be collected. These fees only happen when developments occur, and so when we think about how and why we assess these fees, uh, we have to think about they're not these are not fees, these are fees to fund future projects, and these future projects are dependent on, uh, the need for these projects are dependent on the growth that these projects uh, come from. And so in doing that, we owe the community, a, we have to think about this from a sort of a, a balancing spec point, that we have to understand what the fees we charge, and also how those fees might impact future development. So with that, um, if there's no further discussion, uh, we'll go to, I'll look to a vote. The clerk, please call for a vote. Mayor Roberts. Aye. Councilmember Ramsdale. Aye. Councilmember Povey. Aye. De Deputy Mayor Mork. Aye. Councilmember Scully. Aye. Councilmember Robertson. Aye. Councilmember Adamasu. Aye. And that motion passes unanimously, 7-0. And now we'll go back to Councilmember Ramsdale's motion, to, um, and, which was seconded by Councilmember Scully. Councilmember Ramsdale, to your motion. Um, Mary, would you like me to say the motion again? Or no, do you, you no. Okay, just support it. Okay, yeah. No, I just believe that um, you know, again, as a as a community with a large uh, segment of our population that's elderly, it's going to need care moving forward to be able to. Um, uh, encourage uh, or not penalize uh, uh, um, any projects uh, that, um, of adult family homes um, that that uh, it would be consistent with our values as a community to to exempt uh, adult family homes so I am looking forward to hearing what staff has to say in three months all right thank you any further discussion all those in favor of the motion please uh, uh, look to the clerk for the call of the roll okay so Deputy Mayor Mork. Aye. Councilmember Scully. Aye. Councilmember Adamasu. Aye. Councilmember Povey. Aye. Councilmember Robertson. Aye. Mayor Roberts. Aye. Councilmember Ramsdale. Aye. And that motion passes 7 0. Thank you. Thank you Thank very you. much. Okay, this brings us to we have one more item for everyone watching. Let's. Hopefully we can get through this expediently. Uh, the next item on the agenda is a study session on the 2024 Comprehensive Plan Amendment Docket. And Steve Saffron is here to present the staff report. Welcome. Hey, thank you, Mayor and Council. It's good to be back. And I will go through this. You have the staff report. You probably know it by heart. So. This is a discussion of the 2024 Comprehensive Plan docket. Um, the Growth Management Act um, mandates cities to create a docket or a list of proposed amendments every year. And this uh, docket for this year is running concurrently um, with the uh, major update of the city's comprehensive plan. Um, so this is a list of uh, amendments, again, collected in 2023. Um, anyone from the public or staff may propose an amendment. And um, again, these, these items have not been evaluated. 
and tonight the um, council will kind of give direction on or staff is presenting the planning commission's recommendation of what should be on the docket um, amendment number one this is uh, again adopt the major update at the comprehensive plan which uh, staff needs to do by uh, December at the end of the year um, as a reminder of our timeline we are uh, at the green arrow so we've finalized the vision statement with the Commission uh, we're currently reviewing and revising plan specific elements looking at goals and policies and continuing our uh, ongoing engagement for the major update. Amendment number two, this is a specific amendment to amend the parks, rec, open space, and arts element. Um, amendment number three, this is a staff-initiated amendment to um, look at redesignating the uh, Department of Natural Resources-owned portion of the Fircrest campus. Um, as you may know, Fircrest has submitted a master development plan to the city, which is going for a public hearing next month. And the DNR portion outlined in red is not part of that um, master plan. They've submitted a subdivision to uh, divide that out to separate DNR portion from Fircrest. So um, staff would study a new land use designation um, as part of the major update of the comprehensive plan. Uh, now this gets into the uh, privately initiated amendments. Number four, this is um, adding a new um, community design policy to um, look at any residential or any residential streets with more than uh, right away of more than 60 feet um, be considered as green streets or local pathways. Uh, amendments five through eight, these are uh, proposed revisions to maps located in the transportation master plan. Uh, and um, looking at amendment nine, nine through 13, these have to do, these are also all privately initiated amendments. These have to do with uh, views, scenic views and, um, and solar access, um, number nine, adding language to allow for maintenance of scenic views, scenic views, these were all submitted by um, um, the Innisardin community, um, all with balancing maintenance of trees and scenic views. Um, Amendment number 14, this is a proposed transportation element in uh, a policy in the transportation element to construct, design fund and construct a shared bicycle and pedestrian bridge across uh, North 205th Street, um, SR 104, uh, to connect the inner urban trail from Shoreline to Edmonds. Um, so those amendments, the commission um, discussed uh, these at, at length and ended up recommending amendments um, one through three, four, five, and 14. Uh, one through three being placed on the comprehensive plan docket and numbers four, five, and 14 being incorporated into the study of the major update of the comprehensive plan. Um, 
staff believes some of the language may be too um, restricting. For example, number 14, um, staff loves the idea of creating these uh, safe uh, pedestrian and bike facilities and especially working with our neighbors, but perhaps a bridge specifically isn't the best um, idea. So staff would like to um, take these out, work on some amended language, and then um, propose that through the major update of the comprehensive plan. So um, the, the commission kind of agreed with that and recommended, um, again, adding four, five, and 14 um, as part of the update of the of the major comprehensive plan and then um, amendments one through three as um, separate items on the docket. Thank you. This is a study item. So are there discussion? Anyone who would like, uh, Councilmember Renzo. Uh, thank you, Mayor. Um, I'm a cyclist and I love I love riding on the um, on our on our interurban and going and I've gone up to Everett and I just there were like two places that were really scary crossing and one was 100, 100 uh, route 104 the 200th and then up in Everett was another crazy like place to try to catch the uh, interurban again and um, so I'm I'd love to see a bridge but I'd like to know like hear a little bit more of like why you feel it's too restrictive. So, what, what would be the other like? Have, have other options been considered, and what are what are those options? Well, I believe um, there was a citizen group in Edmonds, and Edmonds had discussed um, applying for a grant, um, and that was discussing a, an on-grade crossing, mm -hmm. a safer on-grade mm -hmm. route, um, as their um, as part of that grant. There wasn't. As far as I know, a, a bridge discussed, but uh, some of the background information you'll see in the application submitted, it was um, we have bridges in different spots of the city with with roads with less traffic. But um, you know, maybe in this this case, a bridge isn't you know the the best um, use of funds. Maybe there's other design options that would that would be better, or the location of that crossing, um, or even. This specific this amendment specifically um, is talking about Edmonds, but there's also another crossing at 145th. So why be restrictive to looking to the north? And maybe we will also look to the south as well. You're saying crossing 145th, 145th right. Street, um, or other other roadways within Shoreline too that have you know maybe there's better crossings that we can yeah. just perhaps a a. Yeah. Policy that's not so restrictive as to just a bridge and just SR 104. Okay. Um, Maybe we can expand it to be more general. Work with regional partners to create safe bike and pedestrian facilities, for example. Okay, so, you, so, so, like, kind of setting this in the future. So if I'm looking at the staff report, it looked like the staff is preferring that there's more of like a study. Um, can this the different options are studied and to, to try to determine which what's the best use of funds and how what's the safest way to get across? How many lanes? Eight, I think. It's, yeah, uh, kind of yeah. creating a, a policy that would yeah. work in maybe more locations than just kind of pinpointing one. Yeah, I can just I just can't think of another. Another crossing um, that's as dangerous as where? Oh, 
Okay. Um, yeah, I just can't think of another one. This. I mean, I live right close to 145th, and that's that's like four lanes. It's pretty quick. Yeah, it's, there's it's stop line. Basically and, a freeway. Yeah. Yeah, and then but yeah, 140 is just like a lot bigger. You know, it's yeah. a it's a bigger area to cr to cross, and it always seemed to be more dangerous than than 145th. So I don't know. I mean, I'd love to see a bridge, but uh, I'd like like to see what staff has to recommend in the future on this one. So, all right. Thank you, Deputy Mayor Mark. I'm sorry, and I, my apologies if I interrupted your, your talk. At the Association of Washington Cities, there was an animated discussion between City of Edmonds, City of Montley Terrace, and myself on this idea. I'm really enthusiastic about it. I think it's a wonderful idea like you. It's, it, it's long needed. If you live in Echo Lake, you can't get to the grocery store. Your life's in your hand. So uh, to me, this is a really important thing to discuss. The other, other place is, is to go to Montlake Terrace instead of Edmonds. So I think there is some unknowns there that it's not worked out enough in the way that's so specific. Uh, I can appreciate why staff was, was saying that. Yeah, we're not saying this is a bad idea, but we just would like right. to Consider like, it like more to have and then more bring refined. it back to you as part of yeah the update. It's, it's more refined. I'm interested in two other questions. Amendment five. I don't understand uh, why that is is one of all those other ones. Why are you recommending that one alone be moved? There, there is actually an, an error in the map that we'd like to correct on number five, okay. and and we'll clean that up. Okay. Um, when we get to the transportation um, okay. element of the comp plan, but the okay. rest are, we believe, are correct. The, the one I really want to talk about is four, so I'll, I'll, I'll go quickly there. Why do you feel this is a bad idea to include something like this? Do you feel it should be better written, or uh, you know what I'm missing? Why is there a downside? I guess is the where how I'd put it. Um, Again, I think we could phrase the language better. Um, we don't have a definition of a green street, so we'd like to expand the language to some streets may be better for low impact development, like we have on 17th uh, Northeast down where we've created you know, a nice kind of natural drainage street um, where there's existing significant trees, maybe that's where you know, we retain significant trees. So different streets maybe have different treatments. We don't really know what a green street is because we don't define it. So we just kind of, we like the idea. We just want to um, bring back some different language. So, so many of the comments we got were associated with this particular amendment. And that, uh, you know, I think part of it is, is just, um, providing the, the city, uh, understanding from the city when this will be discussed, if not now. Can, is this gonna be part of the comp plan then? Uh, you know, some assure, assurity that this concept of a, of a wide street that's a right away is it gonna is. be It is, and we spoke to the applicant, actually we had a meeting today, and mm -hmm. um, th those comments are being captured. Um, in our tracking, how we're updating the comprehensive plan, so okay. things are progressing nicely. Thank you, Mr. Saffron. Councilmember Robertson. I think a lot of my questions have already been answered just with these conversations. Um, 
in regards to four, which I'm looking at right in front of me, and also 14, I guess, were two that had very, very specific asks attached to them. And then the recommendation was uh, maybe too specific to uh, for this application. So I guess I just wanted, or anyway, for the, for the comp plan process, right? So um, I guess I wanted to express that I am glad, delighted that we are talking about the future of Furland's Way. Um, and so excited to see what comes back and out of those conversations. And the same with the bike crossing. I uh, am really interested in finding a solution and whether or not this is the solution, but hope that we continue um, talking about what that could be. And I'm really happy to hear um, and to see that we have bike enthusiasts like speaking up in our community, folks that are talking about um, bicycle, cyclist safety, and pedestrian safety. And on that note, I guess in regards to Mr. Ducey's amendments, you know, mm -hmm. five through eight, um, I just wanted to call out that I, I really appreciate that someone is taking that fine of a, a look at these maps, noting where there are discrepancies. And even though there are places where we're saying that, you know, what. Uh, the recommendation is not to move forward. Um, I, you know, I believe I get the sense that staff can make adjustments, like you said, to the maps to reflect the, what's been brought to light. Mm -hmm. did, was, did you say there was only one that we actually? Num num number, yes, amendment number five. Yeah. One of the maps does does have an error, and and we'll fix that. But yeah. um, the rest of the amendments we we believe are correct because they're looking. The, the path may not be there now, but it's on the future plan, so we're working towards it. And, well, yeah. Now I'm inspired to go out and check check out all these little little byways that exist in that neighborhood. So anyway, thank you to Mr. Ducey, and, and that's all I have for now. Thank you. Councilmember Scully. Yeah, thank you. Following up on that, I, I noted that Mr. Ducey described one section as a steep slope dirt track and another is a precarious dirt goat trail um, and I'm going. I, I can't wait to see what a precarious well, dirt goat trail looks like. Well, so you can't cross <laughs> it. Um, but my, my comments are on, so going back in time a little bit, we had a debate over whether we were going to allow comp plan amendments this year versus just making it part of the comp plan update. What I like about comp plan amendments is it's a chance for citizens to say something very specific and have planning commission consider that and then council consider that rather than just being in the giant mill of comments we get on the comp plan that gets filtered through staff and becomes generalized and the fact that somebody stood up and said, I want this one specific thing with this wording, that just gets lost in that process. And that's, that's unavoidable and that's fine, but we have this other process and I would like to see these specific things, if there's a chance we might do them, come forward as amendments. So I support putting four and 14 on there what staff will do is what they always do and come up with some alternate language. 14 for me is too proscriptive. I don't want us to commit to funding something. I mean, we have a lot of priorities in the city, but I agree with everybody that that's a, a great project and I think we ought to be on board with it. If staff can come up with language that says we support this and we will work together towards, great, right? And likewise on four, we haven't defined green streets. We can't have a defined term without a definition, but staff can create that definition and I think we're all in agreement that that's a valuable area and that making a third place out of a street is a good thing. I do want to call it the scenic view ones. I appreciate the effort. Um, to me, I think we recognize that in other areas of the code and unless there's sentiment from council, I don't think that would get votes and so I don't want to spend a lot of time having staff analyze it. 
No, thank you. Thank you. Any further discussion? So I have a few questions. I want to uh, sort of thank Councilmember Scully for his question and it's a reminder of the process um, because I, that's been weighing on my mind too when we think about these amendments, all of them. Uh, so my first question is, now, under the, our under state law, we, it's in, in our docketing process rules, we have to put one and two on because they are major works and major substantive changes. Yes. Would, would all of the other amendments, whether we like them or not, or the Planning Commission has recommended them or not, would those be subsumed in that, especially number one, the major comprehensive plan update? So you're saying if, I'm sorry, what, I don't understand I mean, the question. We have to docket one and two. Uh, because the, those are major. State law tells the us. State law have tells to, us we yeah, have to document those two things. Plans, yes. But for everything else, mm -hmm. from the comprehensive from the comprehensive plan land use map to specific policies calling out green streets or bridges, we would be evaluating those within the context of the major update. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, we do, I mean, I pre, we're not, when we consider, when the Planning Commission is considering 3, 4, or 14, they're considering, they're going to be considering them not as independent or separate amendments, or they could be separate amendments, but really what we're doing, they're going to be all folded into the, the major update. We're not, is that correct? I mean, yeah, it's going to be fold. We're going to be doing the work, and we're going to be doing the work at the same time. So it's essentially folded into the update. And so the reason I'm asking is we're not going to have a separate vote. Well, we may not have a separate vote on 14 or 4 or, or any of these other things independently like we do sort of every other year when they would put into one either put into one recommendation and then we'd I think if they're separately called out on the docket it would be separate votes there would be for example one one two four and fourteen <laughs> and okay. yeah thank you um, so yeah the way the way the planning com commission deliberated on this and the way the recommendations crafted is that amendments number uh, four, five, and 14 would effectively be folded in with number one, which is the major update. And so I think that's the point you're getting at. And so they won't be specifically called out um, as the docket moves ahead and there wouldn't be separate votes mm -hmm. on them. And this is similar to what we did last year, actually, is there was a series of proposed amendments on the, the docket last year, and we proposed those get folded in with the major update as well. And we've, we kind of set those aside, and we're now considering them as we're beginning the work on the draft goals and policies for the update. So the reason I'm asking is that if 
thank you for the reminder about the amendments we set aside last year. Would it be consistent if we were to just if we were to just say we're going to fold those into the major update rather than sort of calling them out specifically? Yes. Yeah. So the way the recommendation is. Uh, that's exactly what. But but that's not what the Planning Commission recommended. The Planning Commission recommended they go forward as individual docket items. Um, so yeah, I'm looking. I'm so I'm looking at the slides. Yeah, or the slide up right now. So numbers one through three would be individually called out. So number one is the major update. Two is the PROSA element, and three is the land use designation change on the Fircrest campus. Right. So numbers four, five, and 14 would not be individually listed on the docket. Right. But we. I don't know if that answers your question. It does. Yeah. Um, and the reason I want to call, the, I'm bringing this up, is because that section that these amendments may be. A, trying to amend may not be there when the when we get through number one which is the major update so the the section the specific section the specific provision is not going to is really not going to exist or may not exist because they may be a man trying to amend land use policy five and land use policy five may be something radically different understood yeah so I guess my recommendation is to only put amendment dockets one through three on the uh, numbers one through three on the docket and then say that four, five, and 14 will be folded into the docket or folded into one or, or however we did last time. I mean, that language and then that I think that would be a sort of a better way to move forward and also sort of fair to sort of what we are because again these <laughs> amendment 14 or 5 or may not again may, may not be there in the same fashion yeah the, I think I think the broad concepts will be captured and so looking at number 4 is the community design policy on the right of way and the you know the Green Street concept, so that I think we can incorporate as sort of a comment for consideration with the major update without calling out individually. But with the recommendation, with the knowledge that this has been recommended. Correct. Yes. And yeah. it's deferred to be folded into the. Yeah, and then the same with number five. It's correcting the mapping error. And then number 14 is the concept of encouraging multimodal connections across, mm -hmm. you know, with our, our adjacent uh, jurisdictions. And the reason this year is different is because we, in pre other years, we're not trying to amend everything. So with number five, right. when they're, okay, there's a map yeah. error, well, we can't just change it. We have to go through the whole docketing process to change the map. But in this case, we no, we don't because the map is already going to be looked at. Yeah, and the way we're tracking amendments, also the, the specific language um, proposed by the applicant is um, documented in in the 
the spreadsheets that we're creating so the commission can see exactly the language that was submitted um, and if we do kind of play around with the language we can see what the recommendation is there so there's it, it is documented that what what the applicant had proposed and what what we're recommending um, if we're recommending a change to it so it is you know everyone can see what what the original language was so I look to my colleagues I mean I may be sort of in this very my very narrow box of okay this is how I how I understand how things work mm -hmm. but there's a process and the Planning Commission has recommended this and I'm just mm -hmm. being Chris and being doing what I do but I I look to see if I'm actually making a point <laughs> Councilor Scully. Thank you I mean you're making a point is this point staff made I don't agree with it so I would ask that this come forward as an action item and we'll move and have a debate on it I mean, okay. I and your your idea may make more sense or mine might but we get four okay. votes and there we go that's fine <clears throat> yeah yeah councilman hi thank you hey. yeah. great presentation um i'd like some feedback on why you didn't why the staff didn't go for the amendment number 12. so in number 12 uh where feasible preserve significant trees and mature vegetation climate change um, balancing with maintenance of solar access so one thing I believe our city and our community is asking for is more green building and solar panels are part of that so if a resident spends an inordinate amount of money 25 year loans in, in most solar access mm -hmm. um, on the roof if their neighbor or a development next door is going to block their solar access I I think that's important to be mm -hmm. looked at so why did staff not support this um, um, when we have we have um, policies that speak to um, views public views already in the comprehensive plan so we thought the comprehensive plan already has policies about views and then the development code already has um, measures that you can um, thin trees you can maintain trees you can what limb, limb all the mm -hmm. terms of kind of creating that light through very dense trees so staff believe we have the development regulations already to allow more solar access um, we thought this could possibly be a step in in the future allowing more tree removal if kind of a, a policy do do we want to encourage more solar um, solar or do we or does that mean more trees come down but staff thinks we have enough leeway in the code to kind of create that solar access um, already so I was thinking more in six story physical development of buildings blocking solar access not existing mature trees because it talks about preserving the significant mature trees and also so, so you're saying throwing in the word balancing it's like okay they're not talking about building a six foot 
or a six-story building blocking someone's solar view. I mean, it is a it, that is a, a different or concern. Solar I, don't, um, I don't think that was the intent okay. behind this one. Then well said. Never okay. mind. <laughs> Any further discussion? Okay. I am not seeing any mule heartburn other than my own <laughs> about uh, where we are. Um, so I guess that we, we can put this on consent and mm -hmm. the, no. Yeah. I'll be back with a very short presentation and then. Um, okay. Two, two weeks. Yeah. Unless we want to put it on consent. I, I would I ask that it be an action item. Okay. Okay, we'll see you in here. a couple weeks. I'll be here. Thank you. Okay, with that, this long meeting. <laughs> no, it's not long. Feels this long. meeting is adjourned. <laughs>